Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. He not only had that ability with humans, but with other animals and even with birds. And the eagle was squawking and screaming, and they brought the eagle to Rolling Thunder. Rolling Thunder picked up the eagle, petted it, and then Rolling Thunder said to Carrie, now you can take the picture. Immediately after the picture was taken, that eagle flew off back to the nest. Injuries, no more. Healthy eagle. And that picture is one of the pictures in our book, The Shamanic Powers of Rolling Thunder. What's up, guys? Xavier Katana here with The Human Experience. And wow, what an interesting episode here with Dr. Stanley Krippner, where we get into his work with Native Americans and specifically his book called The Shamanic Powers of Rolling Thunder. We get into some really interesting stuff on consciousness. Dr. Krippner has been in the consciousness field for 40, 50 or so years and is very much regarded as a pioneer when it comes to consciousness studies. We talk about Dr. Krippner's work with Alan Watts, Dr. Krippner's work with Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead. So this is one of those once in a lifetime interviews that only happen once in a while. So hopefully you guys really enjoy this. Thank you guys so much for listening. The Human Experiences in Session, my guest for today is Dr. Stanley Krippner. Dr. Krippner, welcome to HXP. Welcome to you, and thank you so much for inviting me to your show. Oh yeah, the honor is all ours, sir. Dr. Krippner, you know, you're a, a very much a pioneer. You've been in the field of consciousness study for a very, very long time. For anyone who doesn't know who you are, can you just give us a short kind of about me, a short biography of what you do and who you are, please. I am a professor of psychology at Saybrook University, and this is a graduate school, which means that I work with students who are doing doctoral research in the area of consciousness studies. In other words, they're doing work with dreams, with hypnosis, with shamanism, with parapsychological phenomena, and these are all topics that were not part of the university curriculum 50 years ago when I first started out. And so when you say that I am a pioneer, I didn't realize it at the time because I've always been interested in these topics from a scientific perspective. Now I'm in a position where I can actually train and educate students who can do their own research, who can continue this particular tradition. Yes, indeed. Dr. Krippner, for my own sort of edification, how old are you, sir? I'm 84. So you've been doing this for a long time. I mean, like, how much has this field of research changed for you? You said that it wasn't part of the curriculum at first when you first started sort of lecturing. How has this evolved as you've kind of witnessed this evolution in civilization and the way that we learn things? 
Well, let me give you a few examples. When I was at the University of Wisconsin, I took my first psychology course, and dreams were only mentioned one time. The professor said, one of the signs of a person is schizophrenic is if that person dreams in color. Well, I looked at my friends, and we were a little bit in shock because all of us dreamed in color. Well, this was back in the middle 1950s, so you can see how much progress has been made since that very ill-informed remark was made. And I'll give you another example. When I was in graduate school, I was taking a course in anthropology, and one of the professors said that shamans, traditional healers, were probably schizophrenic, psychotic, mentally unstable, and this was one way that the tribe had of controlling their madness. Mm -hmm. Well, now we know that this is not true at all, that shamans and traditional healers are some of the most stable and most intelligent and most innovative members of their society. So back in those days, anything that was a little bit deviant was a sign of schizophrenia. Give you another example. When we were talking about schizophrenia in class, one of the sure signs of schizophrenia was that people claimed to have dreams about the future. Well, now we know that dreams about the future, whether they come true or not, dreams about the future are perfectly normal. Many people dream about what they think might be future events, and there are really no signs that this is schizophrenic at all. It's just part of the human condition. Right. So these are three specific examples that I can give you where topics that I was interested in were all consigned to symptoms of mental illness. Unfortunately, that is no longer the case. So it's no longer considered mentally ill if a person is dreaming in color? Certainly not. In fact, dreams of schizophrenics are usually very blasé. They're usually very simple-minded. They're not extremely interesting or exotic at all. The exotic dreams are signs of creativity, not of uh, schizophrenia. Hmm. Okay. I want to move into your work with this book that you've written called The Shamanic Powers of Rolling Thunder. What led you to this book? How did you get to a point where you felt like you had to put this in a readable format? Well, for those listeners who do not know what a shaman is, let me just give you a brief description. This is an anthropological term because each tribe has its own name for these special people. But shamans are men and women who get information from unusual sources that people in their culture or their tribe don't have access to. They can get information from dreams. They can get information from taking drugs and going into altered states of consciousness. They can get information from intuition, from hunches, and they use this information to help them to heal members of their community. So Rolling Thunder is somebody who I met more or less accidentally several decades ago, and we became close friends, and we saw each other and even did some work together up to the time of his death. And now in this book, The Shamanic Powers of Rolling Thunder, I've worked with Rolling Thunder's grandson, Sidney Morningstar, and we've pulled together a couple of dozen accounts of people whose lives were affected and in some cases radically changed by their contact with Rolling Thunder. As his name implies, he was Native American, a Shoshone, Cherokee, 
he drew upon his Native American tradition to do all of the helpful acts of kindness, acts of compassion, and also militancy, standing up for Indian rights over the course of his life. He had a uncanny ability to look at a person and get some hunch as to what that person's ailment might be and the best way to heal it. He not only had that ability with humans, but with other animals and even with birds. One of the people who contributed to the book, Kerry Garnier, was given six months to live by his doctor, and so he went off to uh, find Rolling Thunder, and Rolling Thunder let him stay at his camp. Kerry was a, a photographer, and Rolling Thunder said, I don't like my photograph taken, so don't take any photographs until I give you permission. So Kerry agreed, and he took the sweat lodge, the baths, the herbs, the prayers. He did all of the things Rolling Thunder told him to do. At the end of six months, he was still alive, and he's still alive today, hmm. even though the doctor said he had a fatal disease. During his last week at Rolling Thunder's camp, Kerry's friend had come to pick him up, and a little eagle had fallen out of the nest, and it was in bad shape. Maybe the wing was broken, and the eagle was squawking and screaming, and they brought the eagle to Rolling Thunder. Rolling Thunder picked up the eagle and petted it, and the eagle calmed down. And then Rolling Thunder said to Kerry, now you can take the picture. And Kerry took the picture. Immediately after the picture was taken, that eagle flew off back to the nest. Injuries, no more, healthy eagle. And that picture is one of the pictures in our book, The Shamanic Powers of Rolling Thunder, as well as the story. So Dr. Krimer, if I could just back you up for a second, there was a, uh, an experiment that Timothy Leary ran, a psilocybin experiment. Do you recall the aim of the experiment and its effects on you? And what is your current take on the usefulness or not of researchers using psilocybin or similar substances in the pursuit of testing parapsychological phenomena? Well, this was back in the 1960s when I volunteered for an experiment with psilocybin, and again, for listeners who don't know what psilocybin is, it's a mind-altering drug similar to LSD. So this was another area in which you might say I was a pioneer because I could see the usefulness of these drugs for psychotherapy, for creativity, for exploring the brain and its function in altered states of consciousness, and then there were several decades in which this work was illegal. Unfortunately, we lost a lot of time, even lost a lot of lives that could have been saved. Now psilocybin is being used in different parts of the world, even in the United States, in a few locations, to treat people who are mentally ill, especially people who have what we call bipolar conditions, hmm. where they're very excited and happy one minute and very low and depressed the next minute. They go back and forth. And psilocybin seems to be helpful for many of these people. So again, something that I foresaw back in the 1960s, I wasn't the only one that saw this, of course. And so now it's being used and it's being written up in psychological and psychiatric journals. And so finally, the what we might say, psilocybin's time has arrived. Psilocybin, by the way, is the chief active ingredient in a mushroom. And I actually had a chance 
to visit shamans in central Mexico who were using the mushroom in sacred ceremonies. It was their way of contacting God, their way of making contact with the spirits. So it sounds like this is a key part in these shamanic rituals and continues to be a key part in these shamanic rituals. Is that correct? Well, not all shamanic rituals use drugs, and I have to keep emphasizing this over and over again. Drugs are only one way that shamans get information. Just think of the letter D. Drugs is one way. Dreams is another way. Dancing is another way. Drums is another way. Deprivation, going without sleep, going without food. All of those are ways that shamans change their consciousness, alter their attention, get inspiration, get insight in non-ordinary ways that other members of their tribe don't have the skill or the patience to do. Hmm. Very interesting. Also, during these shamanic ceremonies, it's very common to have ritual chanting. Is that correct? Oh, good heavens. Chanting is very important. That's uh, something that I've experienced myself because almost all shamans use a great deal of singing and chanting and dancing, drumming and music. That's an integral way of getting in touch with, shall we say, parts of the brain that are pretty far removed from our verbal, rational, logical discourse, puts us in touch with unconscious information and some of the deep sources of our wisdom. I've been with Rolling Thunder when we've gone into a sweat lodge, which is a little hut usually made out of animal skin and wood. And in the sweat lodge, there are prayers and there are chants, and you sweat all the impurities out of your body. Sometimes you have visions, sometimes you hear voices. I've done many, many sweat lodges with Rolling Thunder with other people, and I've seen him use sweat lodges as a way of helping to heal people and to symbolically, physically, or both, excrete the poisons from their body that have been holding them back. Hmm. Very, so very interesting. chanting is very, very important in the shamanic tradition. It's also important in other traditions. The Christian Gregorian chants, for example, which go back centuries. The Tibetan chants, the Buddhist chants, this rhythmic repetition of key words and sacred phrases over and over again has been a part of spiritual traditions for millennia. Okay. So, Dr. Kripner, what's happening during these chants, during this chanting process? As a scientist, is the brain going into a sort of trance state when it's hearing this rhythmic kind of repetition of sound? You just mentioned the key word, rhythmic. Yes, a rhythm is set up, and the rhythm can be done by chanting, it can be done by drumming, it can be done by a mantra, meditation, any repetition of a phrase or a word or a song, shall we say, synchronize the brain, can pull it together, can put it into a condition which is far away from ordinary discourse ordinary logical thinking. Mm -hmm. Chanting and drumming and singing and prayer are all excellent ways of shifting from the logical and rational to the deep unconscious, to the imagery, to the inner knowledge that exists in all of us, but most of us don't take advantage of. Yeah, 
Yeah, I can truly understand that. So Dr. Kripner, let's say that I was interested in participating in a ceremony, in a shamanic ceremony with a Native American tribe. Is it set up to heal us? What is the goal of one of these ceremonies? Well, first of all, there are some 500 Native American tribes that have been listed and registered by anthropologists and even by the U.S. government. That's a lot of tribes, but before the Europeans came, there were closer to a thousand tribes. Millions of Native Americans died when the Europeans came of diseases and of warfare and infections. It was a massacre even worse than the Holocaust during the Second World War. Tens of millions of Native Americans died, and many of the tribes died too. However, there are many tribes left, and there is now a renaissance. There is a new interest in Native Americans. Rolling Thunder was part of this. He was very militant. He fought for Rolling Thunder rights. There's a whole chapter in our book about the ways that Congress passed laws to protect Native Americans, and we see that played out today in terms of the protests that Native Americans are holding when corporations threaten their tribal lands and their burial grounds. So, back to Rolling Thunder, in his typical healing ceremonies, he used drumming. And I've been with him when he has had maybe 50 people in a circle, and while the drums are going on, they chant a typical Native American song which he has taught them. And the sick person is in the middle of the circle. The sick person is absorbing the attention and the energy and the music and the rhythm. And of course, the sick person goes into what we call an altered state of consciousness. And then when Rolling Thunder gives a suggestion about that person getting well, or gives a suggestion about a power animal or a power bird that is going to be helpful, that person is very suggestible. It's the same type of skill that people in the psychotherapy profession draw upon when they use hypnosis. People become very suggestible to outside influence, and if you can make a connection with their inner source of healing, what I call their inner shaman, then they can mobilize all of the bodily defenses, all of those wonderful endorphins and neurotransmitters that can begin to restore a person to health. Well, Rolling Thunder didn't use fanciful terms, but he also spoke about contacting one's inner healer. He often said, I don't heal anybody. I try to get my patients to heal themselves. And that was the essence of his whole procedure. And everything he did was to empower the patient, to give the patient the skill and the insight so they could start on their own route of self-healing. Hmm. Okay, very interesting. So one of the things that you've talked about in your previous book was the effect that Rolling Thunder had on the Grateful Dead's Mickey Hart. What was the experience that happened there, if you could, if you could tell us that? Well, very kind of you to mention our previous book, The Voice of Rolling Thunder. And we call the book The Voice of Rolling Thunder because Mickey Hart, the drummer for the Grateful Dead, now called Dead and Company, had several dozen hours of Rolling Thunder's lectures tape-recorded, and we transcribed all of those tape-recorded lectures and used those in the book so that people could actually get Rolling Thunder's own words. But Mickey Hart is actually the person who introduced me to Rolling Thunder. 
when I would visit Mickey Hart at his ranch in California, he kept saying, I've got to introduce you to Rolling Thunder. You've got to meet Rolling Thunder, this Native American medicine man who I know. And so finally, when I visited Mickey at his ranch, he sent a private plane to Nevada to pick up Rolling Thunder and bring Rolling Thunder to California so that we could meet. And let me tell you, it was quite a remarkable meeting. That's when our friendship started. And for the next several decades, I was in close contact with Rolling Thunder, visiting him at his ranch. But also we did workshops together in Germany. And I was able to introduce him to people all over the United States, including Doug Boyd, who wrote a wonderful book about Rolling Thunder many, many decades ago that is still in print. So Rolling Thunder and I have a long history. Mickey Hart and I have an even longer history. And Rolling Thunder was the uh, product of the contact I had with Mickey Hart and the Grateful Dead and with rock music. That goes back, of course, many, many years. But again, you talk about me being a pioneer. Back in those days, when most of the people my age thought that rock and roll was a passing fancy, I said, no, this appeals to something basic in the human body. This is a type of music that goes deeply into the unconscious. This is going to become a major art form. Mm -hmm. And early on, I identified the Grateful Dead as being in the vanguard because not only did they draw upon rock and roll, but they told, they used soul, country, and western, jazz, and even some Native American music from both North and South America in their music. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Dr. Kripner, I'm really curious to know, you know, how did this persona impact your life in the greatest way? I mean, was there something that you learned from Rolling Thunder that that stuck with you through the years? Yes, I learned many things from Rolling Thunder. And one thing that is very important, Rolling Thunder was very much of an activist back in the 1960s and 1970s. But he never resorted to violence. All of his methods are very nonviolent in the tradition of Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi. And in our book, The Shamanic Powers of Rolling Thunder, I give an example of that. Corporations were illegally tearing up the pine nut trees and taking over the land. This was against the law, but the Indians didn't have good lawyers. They didn't know how to fight this takeover of their land. Mm -hmm. And many of Rolling Thunder's young braves said, well, we'll get our rifles and we'll just uh, start a rebellion against them. And Rolling Thunder said, no, we do not resort to violence. First of all, let's go and get a camera and do a video showing the way that the land is being torn up because it had bulldozers tearing up these pine nut trees. And pine nuts are a cheap source of protein for the Native Americans. They're very, very important. So they got a photograph, and then at night, they went and they put sand in the gas tanks of the bulldozers, so the bulldozers were out of commission for several days. And in the meantime, somebody flew to Washington, D.C., and showed the video to politicians. Sad to say, most of the politicians were not interested. However, Senator Ted Kennedy took a great interest in this, and he went to President Nixon Kennedy, of course, is a Democrat. Nixon was a Republican, but they both agreed that this, this had to stop. And Nixon issued a presidential order that stopped the exploitation of American lands. 
Nixon was obviously guilty of many, many serious breaches of the law. But when it came to Native Americans, he did the right thing. He had a Native American athletic coach, and that contact remained with him. And he probably did more for Native Americans than any other recent American president. So anyway, that's the example of what has stayed with me in terms of using one's intelligence to become active rather than to uh, resort to anything that might be violent. Now, a completely different aspect in terms of what I learned from Rolling Thunder is to find the source of healing within yourself and the natural environment and not become too dependent upon pharmaceutical drugs. You can do a great deal with diet. You can do a great deal with exercise, with prayer, with meditation, with thinking positive thoughts. You can use more natural ways of recovering from an illness and keeping healthy by becoming, shall we say, linked with nature because we're all a very important part of nature. Mm -hmm. The Western tradition has been for people to control nature. Rolling Thunder felt that we were a part of nature, and that's another learning that I've had from him over the years. So, Dr. Krippner, I mean, because it seems like Western civilization is so behind on so many things, how can we learn from these other cultures that seem to be so far ahead in a regard to consciousness? What can we learn from these other cultures that the West hasn't picked up yet? Well, of course, as I mentioned earlier, I teach at Saybrook University, and at Saybrook University, we emphasize humanistic and transpersonal psychology. And these are approaches to psychology that emphasize the link between people and the natural environment. Not that there's anything wrong with other psychological approaches, but they don't pay as much attention to the connection with nature and also with cross-cultural traditions as humanistic and transpersonal psychology do. There's a lot that we can learn from other cultures. There's a lot that we can learn from being in nature. And Alan Watts, another one of my great friends and teachers, made the point that the earth gives birth to people just like an apple tree gives birth to apples. Well, the earth peoples were part of the earth. Rolling Thunder realized this. And as a matter of fact, one of my students arranged for Rolling Thunder, Alan Watts, and myself to do a week of joint lectures and seminars at the University of New Mexico. So there are a lot of wise people today who are teaching us to learn from other traditions, not that there's anything wrong with our tradition. There's a lot that's right with it, and not that other traditions are always perfect. They are not. They make many, many mistakes. One has to think critically. One has to evaluate. One has to use common sense. But by broadening the scope of our knowledge and learning from what Rolling Thunder and other Native American leaders have been teaching us, we can all live better lives and healthier lives, and we can find ways to bond more closely with other humans and also to take better care of ourselves and also to form spiritual bonds with nature and the world beyond. What's up, guys? You have been listening to our interview with Dr. Stanley Krippner. If you would like to hear the rest of this interview, get to our membership site, 
thehumanxp.com slash members. Become a member of what we're doing. It helps us continue what we're doing here and scale the show up. So if you enjoy what we're doing, help support it. And if you want to hear more about um, Dr. Krippner's work with Alan Watts, his work with Cherry Garcia, you're definitely going to want to hear the rest of this interview. So thehumanxp.com slash members. Thank you guys so much for listening. Why do I listen to the Human Experience Podcast? Podcast. The most easy and most perhaps cop-out answer I can give right off the bat is that my life is my own human experience. So already the title is relatable. So then you start listening or I start listening and I'm hearing about things that aren't really talked about and subjects that don't quite come up because they're considered, I don't know, what's the word, taboo, perhaps? Especially from where I'm from. I'm from Texas, and not not to hate on Texas, but I am surrounded by a lot of people who are... How do I say? Not everyone is as open-minded. Any podcast that encourages you to be open-minded, in my opinion, is a positive thing. The other thing I really enjoy is that no matter what the subject matter is, the conversation is always captivating to listen to. I try to find podcasts that are very easy to understand and easy to listen to, but not so easy that it's like they're dumbing it down for me. And I think this podcast has a very fine balance of that. The the interviews and the subject matter are stimulating, and they're things I didn't really know about. So I find myself learning an immense amount, but it's not straining. It's not draining. It doesn't make me exhausted. And to be honest, you know, when I am working all day and I have to spend, you know, what, two hours a day in traffic, maybe three, I don't want to be drained even more by something that I'm choosing to listen to. I can be passive and just listen to these two people connecting and maybe disconnecting sometimes, but at the end of it all, it's a positive experience, it's stimulating, and my ears enjoy it. So really, what I'm trying to say is that there's no reason not to listen to this podcast. So why not just listen? And if you're a human, and you have experiences, and you want to have more transcendent experiences, I think the human experience is giving the tools that people could need. If you're at the human experience, I just want you to know you guys are awesome, you rock, and keep doing what you're doing. You know, this is just a testament to our commitment to bring you guys the life-changing stuff that will affect your life in a positive way. And, you know, my my deepest, most grateful, heart-melting thanks to Hannah Lore, who submitted this for us. and. Wow, uh, what a huge, huge testament to everything we're doing here. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this little blurb of her telling us why she listens to HXP and it motivates you to become a member of what we're doing. Thanks, guys.